Good evening to you all. My name is Katerina Dallacura. I teach uh, international relations at the uh, LSE. Uh, we are very, very honored to welcome here tonight Dr. Lino Cardarelli. Um, Dr. Cardarelli has had long-standing experience in international industry and uh, finance. He joined the uh, Ministry of Infrastructure of Italy and participated in the planning and identification of major projects in uh, transport infrastructure sectors. He subsequently went to uh, Baghdad, where he worked uh, in, from 2004 for two years as part of the uh, international reconstruction uh, process. He joined the Italian Ministry of Foreign Affairs in uh, 2005 after returning from Baghdad and served as expert and coordinator of the Italian economic initiatives in the Middle East and North Africa region. In 2010, Dr. Cardarelli was asked to join the, uh, uh, um, as deputy, uh, senior deputy secretary, the uh, Union for the Mediterranean and he has worked since then in the Union and is currently its acting uh, General Secretary. He will speak to us tonight. Uh, I'll give you the title of the lecture. It's a little bit long, but still. Supporting Reform on the Mediterranean's Southern Shores, the Role of Multilateral Cooperation. He will speak for about 20 to 30 minutes, and then there will be time for uh, your questions. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Cardarelli tonight. Thank you for the nice introduction and from the nice talk that we, that we had. And uh, I, I will uh, go through several aspects of this uh, articulated argument uh, and uh, I will also read some parts in order to go to go faster uh, and uh, to try to keep uh, a logic on the on, on, on the presentation uh, first of all uh, I want to thank the uh, London School of Economics and uh, and the Upwind worldwide for the invitation and also because uh, I come here after many many years when I spent some time when I was student at the London School of Economics. I have also to excuse Ambassador Yusuf Amrani, who was supposed to come here and now is serving as Minister of Foreign Affairs for the Morocco, and that's why I was his deputy, now I'm acting Secretary General. I, I really welcome this uh, opportunity of being here because uh, it gives me the possibility to um, discuss, to present uh, the future of uh, multilateral cooperation and share with you our vision on the future of this region. Region which, to my opinion, deserves uh, a great attention. This is because it's a region with more than nearly 200 million people, represents 
37% of the all African continent GDP and nearly 17% of the population. And this is a point which I will return. And also is the largest generation ever born in the Arab world now at the working age. It is now, you know, perceived as a great, great problem and a great opportunities, as you can, I'm sure, see from the all information that the press from time to time is devoting to this, uh, to this uh, uh, argument. Um, as Acting Secretary General, I can only convey our support to your initiative, which comes to a very suitable time. The southern Mediterranean countries are in process of political reform and transformation from one side. From the other side, the, the northern Mediterranean countries are suffering from the most devastating crisis since ever. So this kind of combination, the south and the, and the north of the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean rem uh, has to, to, to put in a in certain perspective. And I want just only to remind that uh, in Paris and in Marseille, in the summit in 2008, it's been established, uh, this organization. The economical and political and social landscape of the region has completely changed since just a few years ago, 2008. If we look at three years ago, four years ago, and now we have a completely different, different world, a completely different perspective at the end. The Arab Spring, as we call, but in fact is an Arab, is a revolution more than a spring, quickly transforming society in the South. And the economic crisis is affecting the North. Both elements, the South crisis and the financial crisis on the North, uh, are already having a great impact on how the region will look like in the coming years. How can we face this great impact? But more than that, how should we manage it? Today, the Mediterranean is at the core of the international debate, is at the center of all international agenda. The changes that we are witnessing in new Tunisia and Egypt and Libya, and the reform in other countries like, for instance, Tunisia, or also in Jordania, or also in, in Algeria, all uh, reforms in the, those countries uh, show that uh, we are entering in this a new era in the Arab. And here there's a lot of young people, and that is very important for them, how they will see what would happen in the coming, in the coming years. And uh, when you say a new era, what we mean by that? Is an era of opportunity or is an era of continuous fights? When the revolt of Tunisia and Egypt, the famous Tahir Square, thousands of young people showed that they were very much for change, for democracy, 
for jobs. It was a unanimous appeal that the Arab youth went to the went to sent to the world. We have suddenly discovered that something new is there. We discovered that the Arab labor markets have become unfriendly to the young workers. Not only it is the largest generation ever born in the Arab world now at a working age. But the recent decline in birth rates is linked with two other trends that exert a certain pressure on the labor market. One is the changing role of women, and the second is the fast development of formal education. So not only new birth, but also other people is coming to the market. And in this region, we have to pay a lot of attention. And more than talking about the rate of unemployment, we have to talk about the rate of employment, because less than 50% of people is employed, while in a normal economy it should be between, let's say, 65 and 80, as it is in Europe, mainly in the Northern Europe. Different uh, surveys of uh, UNDP show that 45% of young Egyptians contemplate emigrating, 45. Perhaps more telling is the growth of the proportion of Tunisians who have considered emigrating, and that's really something embarrassing in a way. From 22% in 1996, to 45% in 2000, in five years, they demand the 50, 50 the, the double, and in a dramatic 76% demanding the immigrate, to, to migrate in 2004. Such high proportion conveys a lot about the extent of the dissatisfaction of this generation in this country. And this trend occurs in a moment in which the population of the North African countries, including Libya, only represent 17% of the overall population of African continent. But their GDP based on PPP evaluation accounts for 35% of the overall GDP of the African continent. And GDP per capita in this region is almost the double of the average GDP of the African. What does it mean that? It means that it should not be surprising to realize the pressure that the MENA region, MENA means Middle East and the North Africa region, suffers from Sub-Saharan Africa, as those poorer countries see the countries of MENA not only as a channel to expatriate to Europe, but a place where to live better than your country. So they are squeezed because of the pressure that they have from the southern part of Africa. And in a globalized world, and with extensive access to information and communication technologies, the reason for young people to migrate to Europe and to the Gulf countries are really huge, as we have seen. There is not it is not in the, it is not in the interest of the countries, but especially it is not in the, in the interest of immigrating companies, 
because these people living in principle they are the best and they uh, they put more and more uh, in a delicate position the countries that they live because they live generally people more educated 20 million nationals from Arab states currently live outside their countries of origin Egypt Jordan Lebanon Palestine Syria Tunisia are major centers with between 5 to 20 percent of their national currently living abroad. In Morocco, and Tunisia especially, this proportion has doubled since 1995, and a culture of emigration has developed throughout the region. Culture of emigration. I think that we have to do something on that, because the culture, to my opinion, we have to help them to create a culture to go outside but in order to represent an opportunity, in order to complete, in order to improve their portfolio of experience and then go back. That's the event that all of us, when I went, I'm sure that here around also a lot of people goes out just to improve his experience and then, and then to go back home. My first conclusion in that, uh, is that the job creation must become the real top priority of all initiatives in the region, as employment is a source of stability and, uh, and, and economic growth. A particular problem has emerged with the greatest generation of citizens once born in the 80s, as I said, and I repeat, because here Israel is a key in understanding the region. The absence of a strategy for promoting scientific and technical studies has contributed to unemployment among young university graduates, while at the same time the private sector lacks skill. So there is a, a lot of demand but unfortunately this demand cannot, cannot be satisfied because the education is not, is not enough. In this frame, a change had to happen and has happened, in fact, as we have seen since last year. And now we have to acknowledge that the change going on in the southern shore will not only affect the political prospect of those countries, but they will also influence many aspects of the economic, social, and political relations in the Europe-Mediterranean area. The change is impacting on several dimensions. I will mention some of those dimensions. One is the economic relations between both sides of the Mediterranean. It will affect the bilateral and multilateral relations between the different countries. The change will also impact on the way Europe addresses the region and, in particular, the neighbor policy. It will also have an impact in the stagnant conflict in the region, in particular in the Middle East peace process. Finally, the change will impact on the Euro-Mediterranean cooperation. How is this conceived now? It has to change this way. The region needs something new in order to solve the problem that I briefly mentioned. 
the wide scope of uh, this process has been quantified by the IMF. IMF, uh, the International Monetary Fund, a week before G8 summit in Deauville, tried to, try, try to calculate which is uh, the resources which are necessary in order to create jobs. We are talking about the demand from now to 2020, which is tomorrow in a way, of between 35 and 45 million jobs which are requested. To do that, Deauville mentioned $160 billion for the whole MENA region in the coming three years. Of course, invest such an amount of money in three years is very difficult, not only technically, but also financially, because the present situation does not help a lot on that. But those are the numbers that we have to bear, to have in mind, to have an idea of the dimension of the problem. As acting Secretary General of the UFM, I would like to focus particularly on this last aspect of the Arab Spring. There is, in this new context, an opportunity to strengthen the European cooperation. If the process is able to define and gain a role in the ongoing changes and reforms, we have a unique opportunity to strengthen the UFM and the whole process. But where do we stand now? The European Union has also a big interest in the Mediterranean in this particular moment of economic crisis. The Mediterranean offers Europe the opportunity to enlarge its economic area of influence and expand its market. Let's not forget that we are pointing out at a region, the EU, and all the countries, which means the 33 countries which form the, the, the UFM, we are talking about 800 million consumers. The region that, if we were integrated economically, could become the largest and one of the most dynamic uh, in the world and uh, better compete with uh, the emerging markets. This represents, uh, the UFM represents, I repeat, 43 countries, which means nearly 25% of the world GDP is the largest economic concentration, more than ASEAN in the, in the, in the East and more than NAFTA, the, the NAFTA in North America. Europe cannot then miss this opportunity, which is historical opportunity. In the last 15 years, the EU was able to give the Eastern countries a perspective of membership that gave those countries an impetus for democratic reform and change, which was when after the Berlin Wall. But now Europe cannot, of course, offer its membership to the southern Mediterranean countries. But it can give, it should give, I am saying it must give them a perspective of economic cooperation and integration. Those countries need to feel that Europe has something to offer to them. And in this context, the crisis has had little impact on the region in the financial sphere, but has had a significant impact in the real economy of the countries in the region, because the, the exports went down, tourism, 
foreign direct investments, remittance by workers abroad and prices. Take into account that when Libya exploded, nearly 2 million Egyptians went home, which means that the country had 2 million families more and less remittance from 202 million people. Just only to say the dimension of, of what's going on on the other side of the, of the Mediterranean. And you have to think about that because we really only put attention on, on, on the, 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 the people that uh, are going from the south to, the, the, to my country, Italy, France, Spain, but the million of people which move horizontally, south to south, that is the real, the real problem for the people who come from the south, from the, the sub-Saharan um, <clears throat> that I mentioned before. The crisis has made its appearance just when countries in the region were experiencing a remarkable improvement in the economic situation since the Barcelona process was launched in 1995. Significant evolution in the structure of trade. They were in this uh, process of improving the experience on trade. The growing openness, they opened their markets to the FDI, the foreign direct investments, and some reforms also were, uh, were, um, have been uh, just started, and they start the improvement of, uh, of the region. But uh, suddenly, you know, we had what we have experienced in the last two years. This means the fall of, of investments, the fall of tourism, the fall of remittances, and the lack of real investment in the region for the risk which is connected to that. In this picture, what is the role of the UFM, Union for the Mediterranean? We say that now, now is time for actions, as well as it's time to strengthen the Euro-Mediterranean cooperation framework. But we can only tackle the challenges that the region faces if Europe and the Mediterranean help each other. They, go, they should go hand to hand. In this moment, the UFM is the, the, the adequate framework for the new political and economic cooperation, the bridge that could lead to democracy and economic growth while simultaneously connecting the, the legitimate interest with the public ones. The Union for the Mediterranean is not locked in a functional, variable geometry sectorial approach only. It will develop into a community of interest and values combining the principles of efficiency, profitability, and utility with those of solidarity, mobility, and citizenship. The young Arab revolutionaires are sending us a clear message. They want to become real citizens uh, um, of a responsible state, and they are asking for the EU solidarity. Translated into simple notions, young Arabs want freedom, democracy, and a job that fits their qualification, or in its absence, they wish to have access to the fourth freedom, which is the fourth freedom, is the freedom of circulation. 
We, as UFM, are a convinced advocate of the importance that the private sector plays in society. Some European firms and commercial banks are already cooperating with the projects and initiatives being launched by the Secretariat of the Union for the Mediterranean. And considering the limited capacity of public uh, finances, they will have to play a major role in the future of the southern shore. And let's not forget that the region will be able to face the challenges in terms of job creations only if the private sector is fully engaged, and mainly through the small and medium and companies which are the real generators of employment in the region. Take into account that in this region we talk about 32 million of SMEs. So the, the amount, let's put in a way, you know, that's having one, two person or one person each company, we have 30 million employees. My emphasis then on micro, small and medium size enterprises is not intended to diminish the importance of the other strategic projects we are working on, such as the Mediterranean Solar Plan, the land and sea motorways, or the desalinization plants in locations like Gaza. But it stressed the importance of creating employment for the million of graduates in the region. My emphasis highlights the importance the important role of cities, regions, local authorities who must be involved in the construction of a region of shared pro, uh, prosperity should not be any more top-down approach. It should be a bottom-up approach. People should be involved. And finally, my emphasis stresses that the transformation of the million of young unemployed Mediterranean workers into productive agents and active consumers could give a new impetus to European growth and to the request of transfer of know-how. All those elements have mentioned, I have mentioned, will drive to a new structuring and move in more solidarity dimension of the North-South cooperation. We are adopting our functioning and goal to help this new process and to be successful. The UFM is requested to play a role not only for political and economic dialogue, but also to accompany and support the new transition. I am realistic when I say that UFM carries real value. We are involved in numerous processes, such as the Deauville Partnership, the European Union task forces in Tunisia, Egypt, Morocco, and Jordan. And we are ready to accompany the socio-economic building process of the southern Mediterranean countries. We are focusing our work on identifying and developing new projects in cooperation with the European institutions, the private and banking sector from Europe, North Africa, and Middle East. Our task, our job, is to start boosting the European cooperation by launching concrete projects 
in, in the sixth field of our portfolio of activity. Mainly, we're working on energy, transport, SMEs, education, and environment. Some of these projects have already been approved by our governing body. Risk. I think that the risk is one of the most, uh, uh, is a word which is much more present now, at any level, every day, any debate, we talk about risk. And then we are devoting great attention and we study the risk. Risk management has become an indispensable element for investors, and not only for them, that wish to operate in the region, particularly now with the changes that the South Mediterranean countries are undergoing. Risk has become more difficult to handle and more urgent to be diminished. At the end, the UFM aims with new instruments to optimize to the allocation of resources. And in this regard, the Union for the Mediterranean is working to launch a new, in a few months, together with the European Commission and the European Investment Bank and the World Bank Group, a set of new instruments to help attracting large sums of investment but not only attracting, the other point is just to mitigate the different types of risk allocated with larger projects in the field of energy, of transportation, or water, urban development. One, the first of the instrument refers to the investment guarantee broadening the coverage of existing guarantee schemes. The second deals with legal protection. The investment and the people, the entrepreneurs go there, wanted to know, in case of disputes, how their interests will be protected. And we are working for the protection to enhance the regulatory predictability and stability for investors. Both instruments are to be launched in, within the end of this year. And in this context, the UFM Secretariat has proposed that in the sixth priority sector of the UFM, in the southern Mediterranean countries, a Mediterranean risk sharing facility and project bond initiative should be set up as soon as possible, whereby a portion of the EU development resources could be deployed through financial tools already existing in the EU, involving risk sharing mechanism for loans, guarantees, and project bonds. They will be duly customized for the Mediterranean region in order to increase the impact of the EU aid. The UFM Secretariat is also working to establish a collaboration with the nine international and regional financial institutions listed in the communique of the Ville Partnership Finance Ministerial Meeting in Marseille in September last year, which I mentioned to jointly develop a potential Mediterranean risk sharing and project bond initiative to be deployed in the UFM southern and eastern Mediterranean countries. Those institutions are the African Development Bank, Arab Fund for Economic and Social Development, Arab Monetary Fund, European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, European Investment Bank, 
Islamic Development Bank Group, International Monetary Fund, OPEC Fund for International Development, and World Bank. And here I want to welcome also the EBRD because it will be a new actor in the region. The Secretariat is also working on the establishment of a large counter-guarantee system for micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises to facilitate access to finance in the region while, at the same time, boost employment opportunities. This initiative will help tackle the poor level of access to finance that the SMEs face in the region. Let's not forget that only 20% of this segment of enterprises has at least one credit line, whereas they represent more than 95% of the number of enterprises operational in this country. Take into account that only 20% of the sum of the amount of the investments which are needed for the development are just provided by banks. 80% should be provided by the, the equity or by the cash flow. You cannot develop a company when you depend on 80% from the equity and from the cash flow in this region. Additional, a specific guarantee facility for microfinance institutions that concentrate on a very small enterprises which also we established. As you are probably aware, microfinance helps us to alleviate poverty and empower young entrepreneurs to create their own business. The Secretariat is also launching very soon a comprehensive Mediterranean initiative for jobs, together with the European Training Foundation that will seek to establish a program to enable and to improve, to contribute, to create part of those 35, 20 million jobs which are necessary in the region. I <clears throat> I'm sorry, just uh, probably if I've been here too long, but I wanted to take this opportunity to present uh, the UFM and uh, also the situation in, in the region. But uh, if we want to support the reform process in the South and the multilateral cooperation, we have to encompass the role of the multilateral and bilateral institution. And also, it must also encompass the private sector. And if we presumably expect the private sector to play a central role and a catalytic position in the region. We must then create those instruments that enable the framework to mitigate the various types of risk and that we are facing and to create a fertile and a friendly environment for business. This is our endeavor as the Union for the Mediterranean and these are our, our working process. I am, and I conclude, I'm fully convinced that through partnership and through cooperation, we will be able to achieve a more prosperous future in the region. I want, I am looking for partnership and cooperation, being a strong believer of the saying, if 
you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run long, run together. And I encourage everybody to join us in this process. Thank you. Okay, questions? Yes. Can you tell us your, um, your name and affiliation? Before yes, my name is Mr. Stefano Bonfa. I'm an Italian. I come from south of Italy. South of Italy, okay. And I know, I mean, and um, emigrate, emigrate, I could say. I'm here in the UK for many years. And now we are running, let's say, an in initiative in the Mediterranean area on uh, having a different approach as you, I mean, yes, this is the classical approach you mentioned on this integration, this comprehensive approach in different sector. What I do not see there in this type of methodology, the issue of uh, innovation. There is no innovative strategy. First of all, I think Mediterranean does not have an, any strategy, as Europe does not have. Because the idea is focusing on grow, but the grow should be focusing also on it by some kind of knowledge strategy, where you know where to go, you know where to invest, and therefore we have this pilot project through all the Mediterranean, let's say most of, let's say more economically developed Mediterranean countries, where our approach is know the area first. This means based from the knowledge of the area, establish the strategies, and then let the strategy, let's say, guide the economic growth, and therefore, uh, this integrated approach does, I mean, you can, let's say, have some kind of more, mm, let's say, comprehensive approach where the funds, they can help on this type of strategy. I think uh, you know, Europe does not go on this, I mean, they start to move on this direction. As, as you know, they start to move for the next programming, this kind of uh, smart strategy and specialization. It was uh, recently here some seminar where they, the idea is let's start from bottom, let's start from knowledge and then build from the knowledge the strategy and the, let's say, the project or the infrastructure needed uh, for the economic growth. Thank you. Hi. Yes. I agree that uh, we might uh, have a, a conventional approach, but I, I, I think that uh, this is not uh, the way to look at uh, this region. I you can use the okay. yes uh, I, I, sorry. I, I think that the this region and the situation of uh, Europe in this day is very complicated very very and very um, delicate and uh, you have to be very careful on uh, the priorities The education, I, I used to say that uh, the real infrastructure, the basic infrastructure that we need 
for the growth, for the development of the country. I'm not saying economic development, development at large of the country are two. One is the education. The second is rules. And then the knowledge. Without uh, the proper education and without rules, it will be very, very difficult, almost impossible, to draw the capital investments. What has been happening in the last one, what I tried to describe, that uh, we moved from uh, a way of, fin of financing, which was mainly done by multilateral banks or governments, which now are not ready anymore, they do not have money, and we have to switch to private money. And to have private money, the, the frame, the atmosphere changes completely. And entrepreneurs, you are an entrepreneur, you have your, your, your precise idea. That's why we put a lot of emphasis on risk, how to manage the risk, and on the way to defend the private interest of investors. For instance, with arbitration and with law. That's why I say the law is very important. The education, of course, is very important. And in fact, in our portfolio, one of the six divisions, what I said, one is dedicated to the higher education and the research. And we are working very much on that. But we need, at the end, the education at large. What we had realized that many companies, a lot of unemployment, is because sometimes they have an education which is much, uh, um, much higher, much bigger than the demand of uh, the companies and they feel frustrated. On the other side, we see that a lot of companies do not find the job, the proper period with the proper education. That's why with the European, European Training Center, we are devoting time just only, not only to high education, but to education at large. So in this switch, we have to be very careful on devoting the resources that we have. Another important point in this, in this region, and that we sometimes, I think, we do not devote too much attention, is that, that let's say, more or less, between 60, nearly 70% of the products and the services which are consumed are imported. Import means the export of a strong currency, while those currencies should stay for the investments. So we have to move from an economy which is based on import to an economy which is based on investments Production and exports. That will affect on the other side of the Mediterranean. Let's say, for instance, just only, I say Italy because I don't want to enter in our country. My country. My country exports in that region nearly 50 billion of euros. In the next 10 years, I don't know how much of these products and services will be produced within because we are investing there in order to produce. So this balance, this, this shift is very important. And I agree with you that meantime, we have to go with the education. 
take into account that those investments we start today, the effect, the output will be in the next 5, 10, 16 years. At the same time, you have to create in education, we can cope with the result of those investments. So that is the balance that we are working. Work in a period, of course, of grave turbulences that we know. And, uh, and uh, we try, of course, uh, to, to, to manage uh, in the proper way. But uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, really, it's really very delicate, and we are putting a lot of attention on what you are saying. Really, uh, the, the, frame, the frame is rather clear. The amount for those uh, to create these jobs is between 160 and 250 billion euros, just to create 50 million world jobs which are just natural, you know, they are there. They are there, we know already, because uh, you know, it's very easy to, to the, the birth rate and the new, the people, let's say women, for instance, or other people, who now is not demanding. That's why I said that we have to put attention not to the unemployment rate, but to the employment rate. When the employment rate, the present, goes from 50 to 60, 10% more, you know, out of 200 million people, let's say it's been five, six, seven million, just only new demand without the birth. That, uh, and another, the decrease of the birth rate uh, is something very important. This means also that people, if now, for instance, women are demanding jobs, which now are completely uh, almost out. So that is uh, the, the balance that we are trying to, to manage. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm a PhD student here at LSE. Uh, my question is slightly related to uh, this discussion, and uh, I'm, I'm actually not sure whether you are the right person to address it, but uh, during the last seven years, I, I've read in newspaper, etc., uh, that there were a lot of money that uh, the European Union were uh, destined to small and medium-sized enterprises, especially in the Mediterranean region. They were uh, not used. And uh, the reason was because uh, most of the project for investment uh, did not meet the requirement, etc. Now, I, I know very little about this, so that's why I'm asking to you. Uh, do you know that there are problems uh, between, uh, in the communication between like, uh, the European Union and these uh, small and medium-sized enterprises that the European Union does not help them designing projects that can meet the requirement for getting this money? Because... Uh, this money, let's say, was, uh, quote-unquote, wasted before this crisis, and now maybe that, though that investment would have been very helpful now. Uh, yes, um, this is absolutely correct what, what you are saying. How does the, how does flow the, 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 how can we fund these SMEs, 27? 30 million, you know, that is, that is a, a huge, a huge, a big amount. That's, the money is not given directly to them. It's given to banks, which have the responsibility of analyzing the projects, analyzing the, 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 the program, the investments, and then to decide where to go. That's why I go back to education. In fact, very few of those are in a position to cope the demand of the banks. The banks, irrespective of, uh, of, uh, the, of the, of the um, 
idea that each of us can have as a very delicate role to invest somebody else's money, the deposit, and then you have to be there to be rather careful. And uh, once more, that is the reason why this education on SMEs. When I say that I'm in charge personally, I am the responsibility of funding, economic development, and, uh, and the SMEs, uh, you know, in my normal way now, just uh, for, for a short period, I hope that I'm an acting secretary general, I hope that very soon will be, will be, will be appointed in UN because the governance of the UFM is that the headquarter is in the north, which means Barcelona. And the Secretary General is from the South. That's what they say, the balance of, the balance of power. So I hope that we will. And I go back. And I joined here. I had a long experience on the industrial, on the, the, Astra and the industrial and financial world. I should say that uh, there's also a little understanding on uh, how to develop the SMEs. A lot of people are thinking that I'm going there just to merge. To, to merge, to, to sell company. No, we, have, we are working creating a, a frame where the companies, small companies, can work. Microfinance, access to credit, arbitration. Creating the tools that are there in order to convince the entrepreneur that can invest because he will have the law which defend his investment because the accounting system will be a different accounting system. The auditing system will exist. All the ingredients for us are absolutely normal, but unfortunately there, so the transparency is not, is not, and a bank cannot, of course, lend um, above a certain extent. So that is, that is the reason why a lot of uh, some money, I say a lot, but some money, uh, has not been uh, deployed because, you know, there's been the possibility just uh, to help. And this is the reason why I said that, that uh, uh, take into account that 100% of investments, that is the all in all, only 20% is given by banks because, you know, very few can cope with the request of the bank. 80% of the investments for the, the development of, of companies should come either from the cash flow or from the equity of the owners. You cannot, you are a student, but you will learn very soon that it is impossible to grow with this, this proportion of 20 to 80, mainly nowadays with the cost of the management. That is the main, the main reason that we are devoting, I devoted a lot of time just to defend the, the risk also, the risk sharing scheme that you are working, the project bonds just dedicated to those regions and to the quality of this company and the quality of the entrepreneurs. That is where we are trying to work, on the companies, on the frame and the instrument to defend and to attract, of course, investments. Um. I have, I have an order now. So, it's okay. Um, there are four questions now that I've seen, so maybe take two together. I can take Is that okay? Right. It's not a question, it's the reply. Well, yes. <laughs> so can I be naughty first... because I actually want to merge Sorry. two questions? It's okay. You were the last one, but please go ahead. Ladies first. That's fine. Hi. Hi. Um, my name is uh, Adele Gibbs. I'm, I'm actually a solicitor. I'm a corporate solicitor, so I'm not sure I'm qualified to be here. But I, I have a couple of questions, just linking back to what you, we were saying about education and um, 
I was actually attending a lecture on the relationship between Turkey and Israel uh, and the Arab Spring, basically in the wake of the Arab Spring, just last week at King's College. I shouldn't mention the competition. But, um, and uh, one, um, one issue that was raised during that lecture and resonated a lot with me, um, coming from a third world country myself, is, um, okay, we discuss the concept of democracy and we discuss the concept of education and we very much point to the fact that we want to educate these countries. We want to educate these countries as MENA countries to our culture. We want to conform these countries to what we are, to our idea of democracy, whether it's the American or the, the German or the English idea of democracy and making business, doing business. But we, I think, fail to understand these cultures um, in a deeper way. We expect to train them to set up and run a small and medium enterprise, but I, I fear that from time to time we really not, don't get the point. These systems work differently for various reasons because they don't have the same sort of Christian, if you want, type of background, because there are religious considerations to be taken into account, because their idea of state is not the European modern state, is not the Chinese state. These are considerations that come into play. So we should also consider educating probably ourselves to dealing with these people. And when we actually also say, okay, let's educate these people and let's bring knowledge to these people and let's make sure that small, medium enterprises know how to run a business plan and submit it to whatever bank in whatever. Um, the, sorry, I'm just closing up here. What the, the, the question I have is then, okay, but so what sort of a guarantee uh, we have that whatever proposals we implement there, whatever strategy we implement there is actually going to work, considering that one of the main issues that Africa has, whether it's North, Central, or uh, South Africa, is really corruption and the fact that, you know, cronism, nepotism, and that's one of the reasons why the Arab Spring upheavals were there. People were fed up with the system. You're facing a panel where there's a Greek and, <laughs> well, I'm and then Italian, myself, I think. So I'm personally <laughs> Nepotism and corruption. <laughs> Don't mention corruption. Okay. I'm Italian, so I can mention All right. corruption. Uh, if you pass the uh, microphone just behind you, and then we'll take the other two questions from there uh, later on. Chef Kit, yes. Um, the southern uh, shores of the Mediterranean is, are going through a very difficult time political crisis, economic stagnation, and uh, normally you would expect Europe to provide economic support, provide markets, but European economic crisis is not helping uh, the, the MENA region because Europe cannot offer strong markets for these countries. In, in this crisis context, what do you think is the most critical thing Europe can offer to these countries? I, I prefer not a long list, but what you see to be the most important one or two things that Europe can offer. Okay. <clears throat> Please go okay. ahead. And then we'll take the last two. Afterwards. Okay. Uh, if I, the first question was... Uh, mainly related to the, say, the education you mentioned. You mentioned, you know, some very, very wide uh, 
aspect uh, of the growth. I, I think that uh, the growth of a country, the development, cannot really become real if, to my opinion, two principles are not respected. Irrespective of the religion, the respect of people, any kind of people, and the respect of the proper company, the proper goods, of, of the, pro, the pro, pro, proprietary that this, uh, the person has to defend. In this region, I think that sometimes we make too much emphasis on the fact of the different region. I want to go just an example. In our group, UFM, we are nearly 50 people. We might become no more than 60. It would be a very, very dedicated and very professional group. We have 17 17 countries, so different religions. Our deputies, my colleagues, we have uh, one Greek and a Turkish. We have Palestinian, Israeli. We have Malta and, uh, and, uh, and then Italians. You know, so that's, but uh, you know, we do not, we do not realize the differences, because the principle of respect is the same. Another, another, another point that, uh, that, uh, that that's, to my opinion, that is the main point that uh, should create, should be a frame for the, the growth. The other is that uh, if uh, we do not uh, convince the institution and the changes might drive to that, that uh, the rules should be there and should be respected. That's why I said it's a basic infrastructure. Rules mean anything, you know, corruption, you can say anything, the, the, the transparency. We, we, nowadays, we go, we cannot go, you can go nowhere because the private money should flow there not the public money as usually went through the governments. We stopped then at the bank, as I said earlier, that uh, because the banks were not able to, to, to deliver because the principle, the basic principle for business were not respected. What we are trying, what we are trying to do is mainly just to devote our, the attention of the institutions I repeated many times, the banks, European Commission, the, the, the European, uh, European Training Center, just to devote not only, the money is, of course is important, but it's important the basic infrastructure. Because money, the private money is there. We have a lot of money around the world. It's not true there's not money. It's not been allocated because the risk is too much, because the transparency is not enough because of the combination of the expectation, you know, is missing. That, that's, that's why there are no investments. That's why I'm not so negative on that. I'm just only concerned on the time which is requested just to create this, this new education. That's why when we talk about the young, the, the generation of the born in the 80s, that now 
are going to the job and some of, the, of those are uh, quite well educated but educated in the wrong way because here we also, the Europeans have put very little attention now on the education we are really is one of the main points it's just the create on roads, railways, you know, tunnels but we concentrate on SMEs in order to help the young entrepreneur to access to the banks and also we are trying to train the banks how to manage the small and medium sized enterprises that is what, what I, 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 I can, I can one of the points, and uh, are related to that, we said the main point, another important point in this region is not only that they import, as I said, nearly 60%, 70% of their goods. The intra-trade, transversal trade, is between 4 and 10%. You know, how can you grow with that? Intra-Europe is between 60 and 70, 75%. And one of the main points is just to how to destroy the barriers that are within those countries. They do not talk each other. They do not do business each other. And that is another, that's why the fourth grand, when the idea of the Union for the Mediterranean, to my opinion, has been a, a, a which, which was, a, a, you know, in 2000. Eight. In fact, it was in the Barcelona process, as many of you know, in 1995, which is the new point, is that they tried to create the co-ownership, the north and the south, to work, to work together. And, to my opinion, the UFM has been really a good vision, a good idea. I'm convinced from my experience that unusual situation cannot be managed with the usual tools. Unusual situation should be managed with a new, unusual tool. And UFM is a new tool, which deals in a completely different way from the usual way of the European institution which has been working so far. This is what we are trying to, to do, and, uh, and uh, we will see. We are just starting, we are starting last year, you know, it was, we started in April last year. Our, our experience. We have already several projects, but I can assure you that we are working very, very hard on those. And I should say that the, 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 new, the, new, the new governments and also the new, the new officials which we, we meet continuously, I should say that there is a lot, a lot of attention and I think that they have understood that a change also should be important in the region, not only what do you expect from it. They cannot, they understand, they should not expect anymore too much on money. We, they can expect from us assistance. That's what we are trying to do, which is the second point, what we have to do, not money, assistance. That's it, just to be, we are there. And on this the, the division, on, on the education and uh, research and development, we are also devoting a lot of time on, uh, the, on uh, the improvement of the quality of the technicalities of the young people. Okay, we started late, so we'll take another five minutes. Uh, there's two questions at the end. One at the end and the young lady with the red there. Just at, at the end there.
Hi, um, Edward Burke from the uh, Centre for European Reform here in London. Um, just uh, uh, a, f a few questions in terms of um, possible duplication for UFM. Uh, EB EBRD um, is you know, very ambitious in terms of what it, what it wants to do in the Mediterranean, in the southern Mediterranean. I'm just wondering, is there a risk of duplication there? And also with the European Investment Bank also has, um, you know, trying to step up its involvement in the southern Mediterranean. So just wondering if the UFM could end up doing very similar things, whether it be in energy or other areas. Um, and then, in, second of all, just uh, with, you mentioned uh, reducing barriers. It, will the UFM play a role in trying to uh, you know, implement Agadir? Or it, will there be, obviously, the uh, GAFTA is a complete failure. Um, for the region. So is the UFM going to play this pr uh, constructive role in terms of trying to come up with regional free trade agreements or are you just going to leave that to the Commission, the European Commission and others to try and um, push that through or perhaps even DBRD? And then very finally, has the Israeli political issue for the UFM, um, do you feel that that is now satisfied? Well, it seems to be still causing a lot of problems with many members of the Union for the Mediterranean. Just wondering how you're dealing with that and whether you see any ways of getting around it. There are several very large Arab countries we're missing in terms of being you know, proactive members of the UFM. And I'm wondering, are you seeing progress in trying to break down that barrier? The lady there in red, please. Thanks. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask Your you... Your name? Um, my name is Ingrid. I study here as well. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about how you went about um, choosing the SMEs that you'll work with in countries like Tunisia, for example, and um, how you provided assistance and support for them under Ben, ben Ali and in other countries, I guess, under um, dictatorial regimes where a lot of the economy was controlled by people who were very close to the regime. And so basically what barriers you face and how you overcame them. And um, has the situation changed since then? And did you have to change your approach in terms of funding the SMEs? Um. You mentioned EBRD. That's, uh, that's very important. Uh, that um, EBRD, you said, uh, might be ambitious. I think that you mentioned this. You know, EBRD, which will start because, uh, as you know, uh, has been uh, taken on board recently, but uh, all uh, the formalities, uh, the approval uh, is not uh, yet uh, completely defined, but uh, it seems that by the end of this year they might. They will bring uh, a lot of a great experience because uh, they are experiencing, uh, they have experience on uh, the development, uh, on the management of SMEs. When uh, I was uh, in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, I was uh, the executive director of a large American banks. Uh, and I can say, because now it doesn't exist anymore, it's not probably, which is Bankers Trust, which has been taken over by Deutsche Bank. And I was in charge of Europe. And I was in charge also of the region, of the Eastern Bloc, let's say in this way. And at that time, I just, I'm sure that uh, some of you remember, has been created the EBRD. And I should say that uh, they have gained a lot of experience. And I'm sure that they will provide a lot of experience working in the region. The experience on how to manage the SMEs will be brought there, which is different from the experience of World Bank, for instance, the experience of African Development Bank, from European Investment Bank, which are mainly multilateral, 
multilateral banks, you know, which are very important to create the frame and to provide money because they can provide really important amount of money. That is why I think that it's very, it's very important. And also it's important, another point, that you mentioned the free trade. I wanted to mention when you said, you know, which one of the two points. No doubt that to improve, to change the free trade approach. And that's why I mentioned that we are working on how to increase the intra-country uh, trade. I repeat, some countries, only 4%, and the average, uh, according to the statistics of IMF, only 15% of the trade is uh, through those countries. We, you know, we, we really have the same language, the same uh, more or less culture, the same climate, you know, but in fact, they do not talk. And that is where. And here, I agree, I don't know if it was behind the question that also Europe, not only Europe, the world trade also should take a different attitude. Diminishing, for instance, the subsidies to some, uh, for instance, to agriculture and to allow those countries to produce in a competitive way. So this change, I think, that's a, and, uh, is not our responsibility, it's not within, even though it's within the frame of the uh, Barcelona process, we are not involved in that because it's mainly political issues and we are not a political, we are just on a technical body. But I can assure that we, they are working very hard on how to improve the trade on the region because without the improvement of trade, you know, it's very difficult to improve the economy of, 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 of uh, a, a country. Uh, you also mentioned, I think, that some, yes, some countries, no doubt that uh, the 43 countries, mainly let's say the 27 from Europe, not all of them have the same agenda on the, on the Mediterranean. Of course, Sweden, for instance, or Poland, or England, or Germany, or, or Italy, you know, have a different agenda. But, you know, all of them contribute at the end in creating a culture creating also, I think, uh, requests of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, behavior from the South, which I think is important. The way how the Germans, or the Polish, or the Italian, or the British, or the Portuguese approach the problem are completely different. But the, at the end, we have to combine all these requests. And that is, I think, the new culture that we, we think that, uh, that uh, will enter, and uh, with some difficulties, because, of course, uh, well, somebody has mentioned Ben Ali or the others, you know, of course, it's different now. Uh, the, it is one of the reasons why some money didn't flow into those countries, because we are stopped by the banks. I repeat, the multilateral bank do not go directly, but through banks. And banks provided money only to companies which had the real, the real business plan, you know, were transparent. Not only the, all the, 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 the companies which, uh, was, uh, many, I have read a lot of reports on that, uh, friends to Ben Ali or the others. No, they, they had a different approach, a different way to manage their business. So, now uh, this, 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 um, the, the change, I said, I repeat it many times, the change, change, change. If, um, if I were 
again uh, my old days as a professor on on the on on uh, in a class, and I use uh, according to uh, the lesson I used to put a couple of uh, of words which were related to the lesson in order to impress, and I would have put here risk and change. Those are the two elements around which I think we have to build our different approach. We have to manage properly risk. Risk. You know, in the last... Uh, a lot of you are young, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not young, but I should say that, uh, and I can say that, and I will conclude here, that uh, the risk is in a change is a, is a change is a, is a, is meaning in a way because after the last after let's say Lehman Brothers just to, to give to him, I think that uh, very often the risk is connecting with gambling now risk is uh, to my opinion is very is a, is a a noble approach to business I think that uh, the risk is uh, important is important because we have to understand we have to manage as we say we have to hedge and any risk in a way can be hedged any risk can be managed should be managed gambling cannot be managed and the, here i think that uh, we have to 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 to, to think uh, with my experience, I should say that in the last period, the risk is not well not managed properly, and we are where we are, to my opinion, because of that. And uh, we have to think about that. And also on the on what's happening on the rating, for instance, on the uh, agency rating, why is so important? I say from my personal experience, because you know a lot of financial institutions. They have not done their own homework of Christian analysis. They relied completely on them. That, that was a standard poor say. And they didn't their own job. Now they have to go back to their own job. And uh, I think that also this is the next step. And I hope that, that uh, we will enter the new step very soon. Dr. Cardinelli, thank you very, very much for a very informative and insightful lecture. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>